This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to Health Yeah, your prescription for clear, concise medical health and wellness information. I'm Monica Robbins. This episode is a chat with the head of infectious disease at University Hospital's Cleveland Medical Center, Dr. Robert Salata. I wanted to talk to him about new drugs to tackle COVID, the future of our vaccines, and what still keeps him up at night regarding the pandemic. Most of us, of course, think it's over. It's not. First up, though, his thoughts on an experimental cancer drug called sabizabulin that may help reduce the risk of death in COVID patients. Is that like incredible news or or should we be a, a bit hesitant? I think it's uh, potentially very exciting. But let's keep in mind a couple things. It's not been uh, peer reviewed yet, the information nor has it been published. This is in a what is called a preprint, which means that is out there, but uh, it needs to be vetted yet. Furthermore, there are only 134 subjects enrolled, and I think we need to see uh, a larger number of individuals that are studied. Nonetheless, uh, if you compare this to the drug that really is a go-to now in standard treatment that is a drug called dexamethasone or decadron it's called. And that was studied by the Brits out of Oxford where there was a 33% decrease in death rates. This uh, being about 54% decrease in death rates for severe disease really is very potentially exciting. This drug works and it was developed um, uh, as you indicated, for cancer treatment in uh, inhibiting what are called microtubules. These are important components of cells that allow uh, uh, molecules or compounds to be extruded from the cell. And in the case of COVID, uh, this may be related to the inflammatory signals that are developed by our own immune cells in response to the infection. And that drives excessively the immune response, which in severe cases uh, is as detrimental as the infection itself. So the microtubules being inhibited by this drug may prevent that from being released, those products, and therefore uh, dampen the immune response, the vigorous immune response. And that's a novel approach. Uh, and using dexamethasone is really kind of a sledgehammer uh, approach, but it's worked and it's used, as I said, in a standard fashion. But this would be, you know, interesting to look at individuals that are treated with both uh, decadron or dexamethasone plus this new product to see if it further improves uh, um, the death rates as well. Paxlovid was, you know, emergency um, uh, authorization but now we're seeing that it may not be working or we're having rebounding. Um, right. Why do you think that is? And what does that mean for that particular drug? Can they update it or fix it? Well, that's, it's an important observation and um, it's still a infrequent event where a five-day course uh, is associated with a rebound, if you will, in both symptoms and positive uh, testing for the virus. And the recommendation right now from the Centers for Disease Control 
and prevention is that if that happens in any given individual, and it did recently in Dr. Tony Fauci, for example, uh, that uh, they go back into isolation for an, uh, another five-day period. What is unknown right now is whether retreatment will make a difference. And I'll get into why this could be happening in a second. And I would just say that uh, the original studies of five days seem to be quite adequate. But you know, the, in this, the evidence that the uh, antivirus medication, the oral medication, Paxlovid, is effective against Omicron has not been well studied. In the laboratory, it seems to work, but this was in uh, the variants that were seen in early winter uh, but we don't know about the latest BA4 and BA5. And by latest reports, both of them uh, account for about over 70% uh, of new cases. So we need to have that information, at least in the laboratory to start and in humans uh, uh, more importantly. Uh, but that being said, it is probably the case that the initial antiviral therapy is driving the level of viruses down and depending on the load in some individuals, which may be higher than others, that may not be sufficient over the five-day period uh, to totally eradicate the virus. And therefore, once it's stopped, then the virus uh, duplicates again. And um, that's why we're seeing relapses. On the other hand, um, we don't know yet whether longer treatment or retreatment in those individuals is uh, an important step. Uh, Fauci, for instance, took a second dose, uh, our course of therapy. Uh, and I think that needs to be studied carefully. Uh, we don't know yet, Monica, whether or not the virus itself develops resistance to Paxlovid, which would be another explanation in these uh, few individuals who demonstrate relapse. Uh, but that remains to be seen. To our knowledge, there have been no cases of resistant Paxlovid resistant virus that have emerged, but uh, that is something we need to watch carefully. How concerned are you about B4, BA4 and 5? And also one of the things we're seeing now is that even, even the vaccinated and boosted are yeah. getting really, really sick, not right. hospitalization sick, right. but they're getting the wicked, <clears throat> wicked flu, cold symptoms. Yep. Absolutely. Um, what do you want people to know? Well, uh, this is going to be these BA5 more so than BA4, uh, 54% versus 17% right now, new cases respectively, uh, are going to become and are already the dominant circulating subvariants that we're seeing. Fortunately, so far, um, this doesn't appear to be associated with necessarily with more severe disease, meaning increased hospitalizations and especially deaths. That's remained relatively stable. Uh, these uh, arose originally from South Africa uh, and have now been spreading worldwide. And in the United States, these have been present, these subtypes or subvariants since May. So it's rapidly increasing. Um, and there's been some concern that the, uh, these new subvariants may be associated with more severe disease, but that's not been borne out yet, but just wait, let's wait and see. 
Um, and if that be the case, then that's going to take us in a sense back to square one. It, and uh, the other thing that is important to state is that uh, recently the FDA deliberated on the whole situation regarding vaccines, et cetera. And um, it is the case that they are strongly recommending that subsequent vaccine strategies against COVID in the fall should include uh, these variants and the makeup of the vaccine. And uh, in some ways that is uh, important to realize because the latest studies, both from Pfizer and Moderna have shown that you do increase the immune responsiveness uh, related to vaccines if they include the, include the Omicron variants. And I think, and I've been saying this for a while that we're gonna see a multivariant uh, vaccine in the fall, perhaps even combined with influenza uh, as the best approach. We also need to think about ways to get around the issue that the vaccines have mainly included what is called the spike protein. Remember that, and many of you have seen pictures of the uh, this coronavirus with these projections off the surface, that's the spike protein. That's important in terms of it attaching to our own respiratory cells and starting the whole infectious process. But it also has been the major uh, focus target for the immune response. But this is uh, the area of the virus that has mutated or changed dramatically over time. And these newest variants have made um, <clears throat> these um, this uh, set of viruses more immune evasive, meaning that you know, it's not, not such that uh, getting fully vaccinated, including second boosters and even having disease or infection in the past is protective. Uh, and they're also highly contagious, uh, more so than any other variants we've seen. So I think that accounts for why we're seeing breakthrough disease, even in folks that have been vaccinated. And we need to take a different approach uh, with regard to uh, considering using other components of the virus as the immune target, uh, and also um, the fact that um, you know we need to include these predominant circulating strains in the makeup of new vaccines for the future. Well, that's the beauty about the mRNA ones that they can just add it. But I think isn't that the FDA has to slash the red tape and allow them to be like flu vaccines where they can change on a dime yep. if they wanted to. Uh, and, and that's exactly the point, Monica. And uh, as another example, we are currently studying a new Pfizer approach with influenza vaccines that uses the mRNA technology uh, because of two things. One, we think it's going to be a more immune uh, producing. Uh, and secondly, you can make decisions about what to include in your uh, current vaccine more rapidly than we do for flu six months ahead of time, where we grow this in eight cultures, et cetera. So I think the advantage of the mRNA technology is here to stay. There will be applications of this same uh, mRNA technology for HIV vaccines and also for shingles, uh, 
as well as influenza, as I just mentioned. So stay tuned because we're going to see this applied in other ways. When the boosters come out in the fall, the, the multivariant boosters, um, do you think those should be opened up to everybody who needs to get vaccinated? Yeah, I think so at all age groups again. And maybe, maybe uh, as the Biden administration is uh, hoping that this will change some of the vaccine hesitant people. When do you think Nova, uh, Novavax is going to get approved and why is it taking so long? Well, they've been having some manufacturing problems. The science behind it uh, seems to be solid. And it does afford a different option besides the mRNA or the DNA-related viruses like the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And hopefully we'll circumvent some of the possible side effects that have been seen, like the cardiac ones with the mRNA vaccines and or the clotting problems with the uh, uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So in certain individuals, there would be an indication. Anything about the pandemic still keeping you up at night? Yeah, it never stops. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, the uh, rapid evolution of not only the science, but of this virus and the changes or mutations that have occurred uh, does keep me up at night because um, everything we've thrown at it <laughs> in the end, uh, that it's been able to uh, overcome. Uh, and you know, thankfully, the um, more recent Omicron variants in general, including these latter ones, have, have not been associated with more severe disease. And that, that is, I think, um, reassuring in many ways. But, you know, if it comes to pass that we're going to see recombinant or combination viruses like the Delta, which was much more aggressive, along with Omicron, which is much more contagious. That's really worrisome to me in the end. And we're already, Monica, beginning to see, at least at our institution, an increase in another respiratory virus that's typically associated with the winter time, and that is respiratory syncytial virus in children. And that's overflown. Uh, oh, it's um, now being seen in uh, certain segments of the adult population, particularly the immunocompromised folks. So stay tuned. Oh, that's scary. Yep. Dr. Salata, as always, thank you so much for your insight and your expertise. It's I really my pleasure, it. Monica. You always have the best questions. Oh, you're very and kind. I was very happy when Janine said it was you. So please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Subscribe and find video podcasts on my YouTube channel, Monica Robbins. Until next time, have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.